Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborgian Life Special Edition episode. Today we're going to do a throwback show, which we have done once before, but this is a new beast. There are new clips to get to. Uh, before we get to them, my name is Curtis Childs, I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation, and I'm going to be taking us down memory lane tonight. Uh, the reason that we do throwback shows is because there's a couple of reasons. <laughs> one that I'm, I'm going to be on vacation. The other one is maybe I shouldn't say that. I said it. Okay. The other one, the the real one, is that there is such a huge library that we're building here. Well, huge by some standards. There's a lot of clips that if you found this channel recently. Uh, you may not have seen or had an inkling about, but there's a lot of what we think is good material back in there, so we want to bring it to people's attention. And also, if you want a bunch of stuff on the same subject in the in the same place, we have a theme this week, and that theme is the afterlife. Swedenborg probably most famous for his accounts of the afterlife. Uh, so we thought we'd we'd investigate into that further, and it's pretty pertinent because everybody is going to go to whatever's after life at some point. So if someone has inside information, let's check it out. Okay, so we're going to take ourselves through some clips and you'll sort of see some of the evolution of this channel and some of the reasonings behind each video. So let's take at our first video that's coming up. Uh, we want to start with this one because I'm wearing the same shirt. You see this guy? Old, young Curtis, whatever. He's got the same shirt as me. Uh, this was back when we were doing a series that we called the Swedenborg Minute, which is where we take a con simple concept in Swedenborg and put it into a minute-long video. Because Swedenborg is anything but minute-like. The, the, he wrote these huge books and tons of them, but there are little concepts you can just pull out if someone's getting introduced that would be we thought would be less daunting. So this was the second Swedenborg Minute that we ever made, and it's just a basic overview of a few elements of the afterlife he reported seeing uh, in his spiritual experiences. So let's roll film on this one. Based on what he claimed was 29 years of being able to visit there at will, Swedenborg had a lot to say about what the afterlife is like. I don't even really know where to start. Well, for one thing, he said that everything's more vivid there. Your senses are sharper, the colors are beautiful, and actually, there are some colors there that don't exist here. Yeah, I don't even know how to imagine that. Like, how could there be another color? Don't we have all the possible colors here? Another thing he says is that there, if you want to, you can communicate your thoughts directly to people. And you can actually spontaneously display images as a dual means of getting your point across. So if I was describing an okapi to you, you'd be able to pick one out at the zoo. He says that the communication is so deep and so precise there that you can communicate entire concepts at once. You can say in a minute what would take us an hour here. Also, there's no such thing there as inner beauty. We all just look like we really are inside. So if I'm a really ugly, nasty person, it'll show. But if I'm a kind and lovely person... Major zing on me in the end there. Uh, that, so I, I rather enjoyed those little video tricks that we did for that one. Uh, that was just sort of a whirlwind tour of here are some basics. And this is Swedenborg reports that, but a lot of other people do. And I still get hung up on that. There are other colors one. I don't... What other colors? Anyway, so let's go from that to something longer, and let's let's get right into talking about hell, talking about this scary side of things, uh, because Swedenborg, his most popular book was called Heaven and Hell, and a lot of people um, are like, what's up with that? You think that there's hell? How could there be a hell? What is hell? And I think that if I could clear up anything about the sort of public at large's perception of Swedenborg, it might be this hell concept, because although he talks like, he talks about hell, he talks like um, sort of you the kind of language you would hear from some certain Christian traditions and their ideas around hell, his concept of hell is so different, even though there are some superficial similarities, it's so different that that it completely changes the, the picture of God that you get from him, and the picture of fairness and, and love and what is right. Um, so I feel like it's important to start there. So this was from, this is me again, sorry, I was giving a speech, and this is where I was trying to give an overview of, of Swedenborg's afterlife, just point by point, and this was a section on hell. Um, so, and in it, as a bonus, you guys actually hear from some evil spirits that are there, and, and what they think of the whole thing. So, here it is. And that space thing that I was talking about, it creates these divisions. You know, we've heard the terms 
Heaven and Hell. And actually, Swedenborg's best-selling book he ever wrote, most popular book, I guess a lot of them were given away, was called Heaven and Hell. So I want to talk about those. And, you know, give me the good news or the bad news? Bad news first. Okay, so let's talk about hell. What does that mean? So there's a, there's a, a segment of the population that doesn't think that consciousness survives death at all. You know, we're, we're biological machines, and when the machine breaks, that your conscious was an emergent, consciousness was an emergent property from the different processes, and so that's wiped out too. There are other people that think, you know, consciousness survives death, but of those that survive death, there are a lot less that believe in something called hell. You know, because that's not a very hip concept. You know, it's like sadness and punishment and, and all this stuff. Like, that's not, that's not fun, and it doesn't seem good. Right? Swedenborg does say, he, in his spiritual experiences, he says he runs into hell all the time. Um, but there are some crucial differences between Swedenborg's idea of hell and what I would call the mainstream or common concept of hell. Um, the mainstream concept of hell, right, is kind of like, don't be bad or else God is going to send you to hell. Right? Isn't that that's pretty fair? Um, Swedenborg's, you could probably put it better... Uh, Nobody can be denied the right to go to hell if they want to. And you, you are only going to be in hell if you, that you'd be happier there than you would be in heaven. So that may sound a little counterintuitive, but you don't have to take my word for it. Let's hear for some, from some spokespeople for it. Can we, uh, can we roll video number three? Forgive me for adding the following to fill out the rest of the page. By special permission, some spirits came up from hell and said to me, You've written a great deal that the Lord has given you. Write something from us as well. I answered, What should I write? They said, Write that every spirit, whether good or evil, has his or her own delight, a delight in goodness for the good and a delight in evil for the evil. I asked, What's your delight? They said that it was a delight in adultery, theft, fraud, and lying. I said, and do you find them pleasant? They said that they were absolutely delightful. I said, what else do you want me to write? They said, write this, that we are allowed to live in our own delights, no matter how filthy they are, as some would say, as long as we do not harass good spirits and angels. But since we cannot help harassing them, we're driven off and cast into hell. I said, why do you harass good people? They answered that they couldn't help it. It was as though a rage came over them when they saw angels and sensed the divine aura around them. I said, this makes you like wild animals. When they heard this, a rage came over them that looked like blazing hatred. And to prevent them from doing any harm, they were taken back into hell. So, hopefully that wasn't too creepy for you guys. Uh, did you notice at the beginning, he's like, Forgive me for writing this to fill out the rest of the page. I think that's funny. That's really how it appears in his book. So, uh, when he talks about spirits, everybody in heaven and everybody in hell is a, was a person at one point. So it's not that there are specially created uh, bad guys or good guys. So, those, that's, so Swedenborg is claiming that he, he just talked to people who are in hell. And I want to think a little bit about what, what was their attitude I mean, were they saying, this is horrible here, please stop punishing us. We were sorry. We're sorry. Like, they're talking about, they're, they're basically pitching it, aren't they? They're like, hey, don't be a square, man. Come down here. Like, this is what's happening, you know? It's, it's all about, they're, they're focusing on the pleasure that they get down there. And that's, that's kind of what drives all of heaven or hell, is the different things you take joy in. Swedenborg wrote, when the pleasure of evil is felt as good... That is hell. So is that accurate? I mean, that is certainly what causes a lot of hell on this earth, wouldn't you say? People who, the, the pleasure of, of acquiring, you know, tons and tons of wealth that people are willing to do things. You know, you ever watch like American Greed? Anyway, these shows about these people who already start all these uh, criminal enterprises, even though they're already, because they have this pleasure in getting more and more. Um, or power, you know, people who, who want power so much that they cause all, all these dictators, all kinds of untold suffering for the pursuit of that 
pleasure of evil. And it's, it doesn't have to be dramatic. You know, it's the same. I mean, what about like the pleasure of being right or getting the last word in? I mean, it's, it's all about what Swedenborg calls the pleasures of insanity. You ever watch like the, the ID channel or the just like America's most evil, like the people who are committing the worst crimes, they're not like gritting their teeth and getting through it. By their own admission, they're like, this is what I love to do. I, I would be sad without this. So with the hell concept, it comes down to nobody can stop you from choosing to want to do evil things. We, nobody has control over your mind. Uh, however, we don't, nobody wants to be the victim of those things, so we're going to try to separate and protect ourselves. And that's exactly what is happening here on earth. And that's Swedenborg's concept of hell. Your punishment is you got to be around people that are like you. You have to feel both sides of what you're putting out there, which doesn't seem to, I mean, I see where you're coming from. So I don't know if you felt like that was a big difference, but I, I feel like his image of hell is, is so different. Actually, it's, it's a fundamental difference in worldview. It's the difference between uh, revenge and punishment versus this is God is basically in creating hell, creating an environment where even people who have absorbed a life of trying to do harm to other people can live in the most happiness that they can live in. And to me, that's a bit, that's an important reason why I can stomach or can, can be glad to say I'm accepting of the, the afterlife view that Swedenborg gave, because it doesn't strike me as unfair or, or cruel and unusual. So that's what I think about it. It's up to you what you think about it. If you don't think the same as me, that's okay. We can still be friends. All right, so this next one is a short clip. Um, it's called What Heaven Feels Like. And this uh, was the first in a series that we called As Described by Swedenborg, which is where we were doing these short clips and we thought some, you know, the function of our channel was we're going to take Swedenborg and make it more understandable. But some segments are, are really cool just standing on their own. They don't need us, like, uh, changing the wording around, explaining it in layman's terms because... The, the clips themselves, or the, the quotes themselves are cool. So this was just, it's me, again, reading, but I'm reading, this is a direct Swedenborg quote, and we just put some imagery to it. Um, and this is actually a hybrid of two quotes um, w from two different areas in his works, but they're describing the same sort of thing. So here is a little bit of what heaven feels like, in case you were wondering. To offer just an idea of it, the countless pleasures and joys in heaven, which come together to create a single experience shared by all, carry with them a certain emotion. Within that common experience or that common emotion are points of harmony among a boundless number of feelings. I was allowed to perceive that there were countless parts, organized in a way that can never be described. Every one of the parts is alive, and every one of them affects us all the way to our core, for the deepest parts are where heavenly joy comes from. I also perceive that joy and happiness seem to come from my heart, gently permeating even the tiniest parts of my nerves. The sensations of this joy at the deepest levels made it seem as though each nerve was composed of nothing but joy and good feelings. The nerves seemed alive with happiness. The joy we feel in physical indulgence compared to these joys is like a coarse, stinging dust compared with the gentlest breath of pure air. We may gather the magnitude of heaven's pleasure simply from the fact that for everyone there it is delightful to share their happiness and bliss with someone else. And since everyone in the heavens is like this, we can see how immense heaven's happiness is. For there is in heaven a sharing by everyone with each individual, and by each individual with everyone. So a little bit of trivia about that one uh, on the musical side. If you have ever watched the show Swedenborg and Life Live, you've probably recognized that music, uh, which is the music that we had Reed, a very talented musician, make. And we use it for the countdown. Have you seen that? If you show up when the show is live, there's like a 10-minute countdown. That music is in there. And you'll hear those chimes. Dung, dung, ding, ding. That is because we had those put in specifically at the time when that little ball of light hit each of those people. You know, So it was, it was originally 
uh, architected for that video, but now it's just in there. So that's part of why those chimes are there as they are. So <laughs> if you happen to care about why certain countdown music is like it is in an obscure web show, there you go. All right, let's get back to a couple of Swedenborg minutes. When we are starting to do this Swedenborg minute series, it, it that's some of the most interesting material is this afterlife stuff and the most easily accessible and you know interesting as in there's a there's a market for it meaning there are people wondering about it some of the more the, the more deeply layered stuff in Swedenborg can be more interesting even but you don't know you're looking for it so the point of this little story is that when we started to make these Swedenborg minutes we made a lot about different aspects of the afterlife because we thought maybe that would get people interested and they would want to come see our channel so here's another one it's called communal feelings in the afterlife According to Swedenborg, in the afterlife, you're going to be able to go, man, I'm having such a good day today. Do you want to know how it feels? Feels pretty cool, huh? Sharing feelings. It's certainly something that people think about. We say stuff like, I wish you could know what this feels like, or you had to be there. Just why you know how I so we can communicate our feelings to each other to some extent, but in the life after death, you can actually give someone the exact feeling that you're feeling. One person can literally give a whole group the exact joy that they have. And the deal is, if we put in the work to grow as people, to push aside selfishness or needing to be the best, the love your neighbor as yourself thing can actually come true. The primary joy in our lives can be to share anything good we have with others. And in that case, this is a massive win-win scenario. And a secret. This is already happening for us. The love and the good feelings we have are God's, and God is passing them along to us in the same way and for the same reasons. I can't believe that YouTube didn't uh, lock lock up that video for that little Patti LaBelle clip in it. Maybe they'll lock this one up. I don't know. Uh, maybe they weren't shazamming as hard back then. Anyway, that, those were in our younger days. We were crazy back then. Uh, let's go to another Swedenborg minute. This one is about can you have a mask on you know in this life there is a lot of posturing and a lot of deception and it's hard to tell like here's curtis doing a show for you it, do i really care about what i'm talking about am i really interested in giving you information how do you know well and swedeborg is saying in the afterlife it's easy to know and here's how it's described Think about how much of the unpleasantness in life comes about because we don't know what kind of people we're dealing with. Oh, she just called me pathetic. Does that mean I am? Is she just an objective, neutral observer who happened to have a piercing insight about what I'm like? But in reality, this is a person who habitually cuts people down as a power trip thing and often out of jealousy. If you knew that in the first place, it would make this insult a lot easier to brush off, wouldn't it? Or what about... This guy seems to be a good guy to hire to redo my kitchen. Oh. Knowing his work ethic and his attitude toward cutting corners would have been nice. According to Swedenborg, you won't have to worry about stuff like this in the afterlife. There, when someone approaches you, you can not only tell how someone looks and sounds and smells, you can also tell what their character is like, instantly. He says we all gain a kind of instinct for it. So there, choosing a plumber is no problem. Sorry Angie's list. We had people like, what, you need plumbers in heaven? I, it's, I don't know. I don't know if you do. Something that corresponds, meaning the, the ability to keep your waste removal system there. There's got to be some, something analogous but as to whether you actually need a, a plumber to mess with pipes. I don't know. I, I don't know. I was going to say I doubt it, but I don't doubt it. Who knows what goes on in the afterlife? I mean in all the multitude of specifics. I guess we're claiming we do know what goes on in the afterlife here. Meh. Okay, this is going even farther back than the whole Swedenborg Minute craze that, that gripped this channel. This, this video is one of the first videos on the channel. Uh, and this was back when we were like a, a wee little channel trying to get anybody to listen about Swedenborg. It didn't seem like, does anybody know who Swedenborg is? Would anybody be interested? So this was like, this isn't as afterlife focused as the others, although there is a segment about it. This was just kind of a general tour of what I thought were the coolest points in Swedenborg's worldview, but put in a way that doesn't, put in a really um, uh, sort of common, what do I want to say? In a really... Uh, relatable 
non-denominational language. This is just what they are as they appear in the modern mind. So we wanted to kind of take take people through that and then see, did you think that stuff was cool? Well, it came from Swedenborg. Do you want to know more? So that's how this whole thing came about. So let's take a little trip way back into the back. Here it is. Hey, yo, dude, let's play What If. You might say that's a stupid thing for adults to do, but meh. If you're clicking on internet videos, I bet you've got a little time to kill anyway, right? I'll go first. What if love grew? What if altruism seeded and took the steering wheel in people's minds? All of human intelligence working not to profit at each other's expense, grow up to be a desperate housewife or emulate the Jersey Shore, but to actually be cool to each other. You know, man. Peace on Earth. I think there's nobody who doesn't want that. A world where you leave your car unlocked no matter what street you parked on. A world where all boys and girls grew up happy and confident and secure. A world where we're not all in one way or another, nursing our wounds from the past. We all want it, but we don't have it, do we? Why not? It could be from a lack of effort. It could be because that kind of world simply can't exist. It could be a matter of, well, some other throat noise. Or, what if we're all trapped by the way we think? What if it's our beliefs about life that keep us all in a life we don't want? And a way out is to put those beliefs on hold, loosen up for a bit, and open up to being asked, what if life is actually? Because not too far from where you are right now, there's a basically good dude. He doesn't commit serious crimes and is usually pretty nice to his family and co-workers. Most of the time. He doesn't like snapping, but he's just so drained because he can't relax. He can't just sit down and enjoy the little, actual things the day gives him because he's harassed by these nagging fears. This guy and this guy are making it, and I'm not. They're succeeding in gaining recognition for their talents. They are somebody. I'm a nobody, and I'm running out of time. Who wouldn't be a bit jumpy? But one day, suddenly, he's like, all right, all right, enough, and shifts his filter to finally let in the thought stream that asks, what if it's a moot point? You think that these things, somebody's ability to do something gnarly and the people who think they're hip because of it are somehow extensions of their essence or are intrinsic to the person. Why? You're just born with it or an idea pops into your head or something. Treat them as they are, as gifts. If someone wins the lottery, you don't say, oh, they're so much better than me. You say, look at what they were given or they got lucky. But what we call luck has more in store for us than you could possibly guess. Good things are on the way. Just don't stress about the timing. What if we're not the only ones looking out for our careers? You see things as successes and failures and as steps forward and back. Why? What if we've been looking at it sideways and they're really navigations? Steered by the basic forces of the universe to stealthily bring us down the very complex but counterintuitive route to freeing our minds. What if all these concepts, legitimacy, competition, that hold you hostage turn out to be illusions? The scarcity that they all bank on doesn't exist. Maybe just like take a deep breath every once in a while. Hey, did you notice your kids are playing in the backyard? Or one of the big guys who has made it, has found all kinds of material success, who built an empire and came out on top, but is still anxious and lonely. Dad always said, there's not enough to go around. If not in words, then in actions. To have a future, you have to make a future and become one of the few at the top. But in a momentary lapse of being sure that that's just the way it is, he tunes into the voice that's been asking, what if happiness has no material access fee? What if those little things that everyone can do, sharing whatever advantages you do have with someone, trusting life and going with the flow, giving your mom a call, easing up on the old self-importance, setting a good example, what if those little lifts those things give you point the way to the greatest untapped well of happiness in the known universe? Yeah, maybe not right away, you gotta work at it, but believe me man, this is where you want to invest. There's a time when it hits you that people your age, even those who were a few classes below you in high school, are really starting to go. And you begin to think about them, your friends, and all the things you wish you could do again. Are they really gone, those faces that seemed so alive and who graciously walked the surface of this weird planet with you? Have they dissipated? 
never to smile or be seen by anyone ever again. Or maybe someone's thoughts turn to her grandchildren, and will they forget her? And will she never get to see them grow, to have grandchildren of their own? And then the loneliness of death sets in, and the why. Why should obscure physical processes, aging and time, have more power than the love I have for these people I won't get to stay with? But haven't you heard it? There's this little thing in our heads that keeps asking, what if there's no such thing as death? What if? There's a power in that. There's a power for people in being asked to re-envision their present and themselves. What if you, despite what your head may have told you, are not a loser? You're unique, irreplaceable, and at the center of more love than you can possibly imagine. You're a level 100 Pokemon, man. What if we've been using ourselves backwards? It seemed like a simple equation. The things you want plus pursuit plus achievement equals happiness. But the X factor, the unknown, is that our internal design functions so that putting the needs of others first, who are they, what do they need, how can I be kind to them, opens up the internal channels so that we can finally circulate that happiness we all want alongside our life and liberty. What if that helping others became the battery that drove our society, like switching our hearts from running on fossil fuels to clean, renewable energy? What if, like Fortune 500 companies now crave profit, powerful organizations instead were obsessed with bringing happiness, fulfillment, and dignity to the lives of strangers? What if Emanuel Swedenborg was right? What if Raymond Moody's interviewees were spot on and the very fabric of the universe knows us and wants to give us a high five? What if life is not meaningless, not hopeless? What if other people are conduits to our happiness, not barriers? What if life is not going to end? What if your crazy, out-of-control human experience is actually a fine-tuned masterpiece? What if life is actually... Kind of cool. Okay, your turn. So, once I had someone I knew uh, watched that video... And they said, why does it say, what if Emanuel Swedenborg is right uh, near the end? Because they knew of Swedenborg a bit, um, but, but didn't see how that connected. And I think that's sort of why this channel exists. Because um, if you open up Swedenborg, some people open up the books and they're like, oh, this is it. This is it. I love this. This is so cool. Other people open it up and they see all this like religious terminology or confusing philosophical language or <laughs> boringness. And... They, what is this? That the way the way that I was talking in there. That's what you get to, I and mean, that's what you see. It's saying about life once you learn the language of Swedenborg and look at the underlying message. So that was my our attempt to take it and have it so that you immediately get to the good stuff, right? So that that is what's in there once you learn to to read it, and actually much more than that. That's just the basics of what's in there. All right, so let's uh, let's get a. This is like been the throwback show. It's been a lot of me on stuff. Let's see if we can get some other people talking here. Um, this was an uh, earlier episode of this show, Swedenborg and Life, in sort of phase two of the show when I would sit at the at this table that you can't see and have some guests here, and we would sort of talk about topics. And this is a slightly longer clip, so like quick, like, I don't know, fill up your popcorn buckets, and we're going to get into uh, a discussion on, on reuniting in the afterlife and, and what Swedenborg had to say. Okay, so, what? there's not, I can't really think of a more basic question than that. Okay, if we do survive, consciousness does survive the death of the body, do we see the people that we loved again? You know, it's got to be the fundamental. And let's, so there's, there's been a lot of people that have claimed, okay, I've, I've had some kind of spiritual experience. I've seen the other side. And this is what's like. Swedenborg is one of those. And let's hear what he said about that. This is from Heaven and Hell, number 494. After our life in the world, our friends and people we had known in the world recognize us. Spirits perceive who we are not only from our faces and voices, but also from the aura of our life when they come near. In the other life, whenever we think about someone, we call up that individual's face and our thought, along with many details about her or his life. And when we do this, the other is called to us. Things like this happen in the spiritual world because thoughts are shared there, and because space is not what it is in the natural world. This is why as soon as we arrive in the other life, we are all recognized by our friends and relatives and by people we have known in one way or another. Further, we talk with each other and continue to see each other in keeping with our friendship in the world. 
I've heard many people who have just come from the world overjoyed to see their friends again, and their friends overjoyed that they had arrived. And this, it's written a little academically, but that's a very powerful experience that, that he's describing there. And I wanted to have you both on the show because those two groups that we mentioned in the beginning, Lost and Found and Widow and Widowers, those are, are grief groups, but they, they sort of have a, a spiritual bent to them that, that kind of has to do with that, that first quote. So I just want to hear a little about the groups that you guys run to start it off. So Donette, what is Widow and Widowers and, and how is it uh, different than a, perhaps a regular grief group? Well, there, there are many very good widows and widowers groups, mostly at hospitals, mm -hmm. but they're mostly addressed to the first year of grieving. Right. Our, our group is different. Because our group comes together, it is people who tenderly love their partners and f feel that they will be reunited with them when they pass from this world also. Mm -hmm. So in our group, there are people who've lost their husband or wives a, a month ago or 10 years ago or yeah. five months ago. It's a broad spectrum, but our focus is always... How can we work on our marriages in anticipation of <clears throat> being reunited? Yeah, yeah. So that two things strike me about that. One is that, you know, people often say the help the grieving people receive ends before the, the grieving does. You know, that, that right when somebody dies, there's all kinds of outpouring of support, but, a, you know, a month or two in, it's like, okay, we, we did that, we're moving on. But, but you, having lost somebody, are still are still hurting from it, and that's interesting. So to be able to continue to work on your marriage, uh, so this is the idea that you could still connect with the, the soul or the spirit of a, a person who's passed on. And we'll, let's get back to that more, especially in the, the second segment. So Sig, what what is your group about? Well, um, about three years ago, um, Donette had been running this group, her group, for many many years, mm -hmm. and we sat down and said, well, what about all the other people that have lost? You know, right. children, brothers, sisters, friends, mm -hmm. uh, they need to have the same sort of support. So we started that, and, and it's, we've experienced a loss, and now we're, we've found a group that will uh, uh, you know, support each other. And that's where the name came from. Yeah. So what, what is the experience like of working with, with people who are grieving? And how does the, how does this, um, the idea that we're, we're temporarily bereaved, but we're going to reunite, how does that change kind of the dynamic? Well, I think you had mentioned, you know, how, um, you know, there's, there's a grieving period and, and people think that it's going to be over after a while. And, and uh, I read a quote on a woman had a list of different things about grieving. And she said, the, the day I stop grieving for the, the loved one that has passed away is the day that I meet them again. Mm -hmm. And I thought that really hit the spot. So even, even, you know, some people might think, okay, if you believe that there's a, an afterlife when you're going to see them again, you, you wouldn't be grieving then, if you really believe that. But that's not the case, is that's it? That's not the case. Uh, grieving is a very useful thing. Um, yes, some people are worried, particularly in our group, because we believe in an afterlife and we think, well, maybe we shouldn't be grieving. He's fine, she's fine. Yeah, why but do I really course, believe it? Yeah. But absolutely, grief is a process of adjusting to a very different life and a very different relationship. People die, but love doesn't die. And the connection is still there. But during grief, you are so longing for the, spiritual, the physical presence that it's hard to get in touch with a, a spiritual connection. Mm -hmm. Often yeah, people will say, okay, well, they're in a better place somewhere, mm -hmm. but I'd like them to be in this place. You know, that's a hard substitute. But I, I compare grieving to f physical rehabilitation. You break mm. an arm or something, or a leg, and you have to uh, do certain things to get your strength back. And the same is true of grief. You're broken. You've lost part of you. And there's a process you need to go to to regain your strength and carry on. Yeah. Yeah, and let's. I want to talk a little more about um, you said this idea that of reuniting with your spouse or your partner. So let's let's get into our second segment, and we'll look into that further. So I do get this question on the web fairly often. Okay, so I 
you know, even if I believe I'm going to survive the death of the body, will my relationships survive? You know, am I, if I was married, if I love somebody, will I still love them there? Will they recognize me? So, Donat, your whole group is, is based on the idea that, uh, you know, this bond can continue. And I want to read a quote from Swedenborg about it. He also reported seeing that there. Those in true marriage love are not separated by the death of one, because the spirit of the deceased dwells continually with the spirit of the one not yet deceased, until the latter dies and they are reunited and love each other more tenderly than before, because in the spiritual world. Uh, is that something that, that keeps people going? Yes. And, and I think a key to that is that last phrase, love each other more tenderly than before, because in the spiritual world. Um, because in the spiritual world we're free of all the natural problems that surround us when we are married here, in some ways we can come more close to our partners as we can put aside things of this world. Um, and how, how does that happen? You know, like what, what do you find? How do, what makes people feel like they're closer to their partners, or what are you recommending? Well, part of it is peeling away the things that were of this world, maybe some bad habits that he had or she had, that they're no longer a part of them, and you can get closer and closer to the essence of this person you love mm. and who they truly are without distractions of this world. Of course, we all want to hug them physically yeah. <laughs> again very much, but uh, as we come out of the grieving process or it lessens, it seems to come more easily that we can feel closer. Actually feel sort of a, a presence or a connection yeah, yeah, of some absolutely. kind. Yep. Sig, um, how does this idea of continued relationships kind of affect you and, and what you do? Well, I think um, it, it applies to any relationship. Yeah. Uh, and certainly, um, you know, I, I know that a number of people in my group have, you know, just assume that they will see their loved ones again. And that's just the fact. Um, my daughter passed away some 21 years ago, and I am absolutely convinced that uh, she will be the first person I see when I wake up in the other world. Yeah, and the, uh, thank you very much for sharing that, and just the, the power of that, that reunion, and, and that, you know, for, for so many people, that, that there's these pieces of them that are somewhere else, you yeah. know, and that, and, you know, and Swedenborg describes it in that first quote, like, oh, they were overjoyed, but that, that word doesn't really probably capture the, the actual emotion of that kind of that kind of reuniting. So I have one other quote because there's a flip side to it. You say, oh, you're going to be reunited with your spouse, reunited with your family, and some people are like, that's great, and other people are like, oh, no. You know. <laughs> so so I, just, I just wanted to put this little quote in here to, to show that it often happens that married partners meet and welcome each other joyfully. They stay together as well, but for a longer or shorter time, depending on how happily they had lived together in the world. Ultimately, unless they have been united by real marriage love, which is a union of minds from heavenly love, they separate after having been together for a while. So I'm just just trying to say, okay, so we don't want this to scare anyone. You know, that if, if something isn't, um, he talks about a union of minds, and you, you were talking a little bit about that. It, if it's just an external kind of, okay, you're in a, a contract where you're, you're married, but there's not a real communion of souls, that it, nobody's got to stay together because of something that's, that's not working. I think that's important for people to know, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there's a saying that having a husband doesn't necessarily mean you're married any more than having a piano means you, you are a musician. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that there's a superficial marriage and bad marriage, and there's good marriage, and there's dedicated marriage, and there's true love, and there's superficial love. Yeah, and I like, I just see the way that Swedenborg describes the afterlife is things make sense. I mean, nobody's like, it's not like these are the these are the rules and they've got all be you know, if there's not a real connection there, nobody's forced mm -hmm. to do something. So, Sig, did you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think the, the, the idea that, that all of the natural stuff and the, the inhibitions and the things that we hold up and the fears and the anxieties and all the stuff that keep us from being real spiritual, you know, that's all taken away in the spiritual life. Mm -hmm. And so... Whether it's it's good to whether it, it, you connect with the other person or not, it's going to make sense, and so you will logically either gravitate towards or gravitate away, and and it'll all be good. 
I'll be good. Yeah, I, I think my, one of my favorite parts of reading near-death experiences is you hear about uh, life reviews when people sort of see the events of their life and they, they, it all makes sense to them then. And I sort of get this, everybody who go, oh, okay, I get it. Like, even if you're there's somebody and you're not going to be partners with them anyway, it's not like, oh, no, it's like, okay, I get it. We can... We can be friends. This, you know, there's. It's all okay. I think. I think you put it very well there. So those are two really cool people, and they both have a lot of experience working with actual grief. You know, working with people who have lost people. So I just like the the, the attitude and the tone and the working knowledge of it that they have. I would recommend you can click on this episode, watch the whole thing, um, uh, if you get some time. It's it's worth it. I think there's a lot back there. That's why we we have this show to try to get people interested so let's go back to a shorty now after that one this was a swedenborg minute probably one of our more controversial swedenborg minutes this is called do suicides go to hell um and uh let's let's play it first and then i'll talk about the reaction and why we made it and that kind of stuff so there's this idea out there that people who take their own lives get sent to hell as in, you were miserable and you broke the rules, so now you're going to be punished eternally. Swedenborg contradicts this because he says that hell is not a punishment. Hell is a lifestyle that people consciously choose. It's habitually caring about yourself more than you care about anybody else and intentionally harming others for your own gain. People choose hell because they like how it feels, because of the kind of people they are. Any single act, even one as devastating as suicide, doesn't define the kind of person you are. Many people who take their lives are in the grip of mental illness or have temporarily lost perspective due to what's going on in their lives. They're not thinking clearly. Swedenborg wrote that everyone who dies wakes up with angels, who provide all the care that the person is willing to receive. I'm sure that includes mental care to clear up the dysfunction that would lead someone to hurt themselves and so many others. It's probably a lot of work and you've got to face the pain that you've caused and the issues you had in the beginning that got you there. And once they're back to being themselves, that person can go make the choice to live either a heavenly life of compassion or a hellish life of selfishness, but the act of suicide itself doesn't dictate where they end up. So I don't have very many shirts, apparently. Well, I mean, we made a lot of videos. You cycle through your wardrobe pretty quickly. Uh, so that video, you get people, I mean, you get from the you know certain religious component saying, that's wrong, everybody does go to hell. But I'm not really, all suicides go to hell. I'm not really worried about that because that's, that's, that idea is why we made the video in the first place. There's The real worry and criticism that people have is if you, if you paint a picture of suicide that's not dire um, enough, that may encourage people to, to do it. And that, and I hear that, I'm not going to discount that um, uh, as a legit concern. There's a line to be walked here, and that is, you know, there's a person who is feeling like, I, I want to end my life, and you'd want to steer them away from that, if at all possible. But then there's the people's families and, and uh, I had run across there are people who have not are not only dealing with the pain of losing somebody and the specific pain of losing someone to suicide and I've, I've had friends who, who took their lives and it's it's different than anything else that you can experience because it's a you're not only grieving but you have these other emotions you have anger and frustration at them for doing it and, and there's but also an understanding of and the sadness that they got in such a state because you know like to, to do something like that it has to be really bad so this video was essentially i is i think essentially directed at the people who knew someone who committed suicide because there are people who are not only dealing with that cocktail of emotions but they're also dealing with thinking not only do i have all that stuff i'm feeling but I, this person is automatically in hell and i'm never Gonna either never gonna get to see them again or never have a chance to live with them. So that that is a kind of pain that I wanted to alleviate. And yeah, Swedenborg, he doesn't say like, oh, it's fine. It doesn't matter if you kill yourself. He he has very few references to suicide. He does talk in his journal of spiritual experiences about how there was one person who had killed themselves with a knife, and in the afterlife they couldn't get the knife out of their hands. You know, like they're trying to, but they couldn't. And obviously, not forever. But you, it's not like it's an easy way out. That there are a lot. You probably have to go through more if you act on that than you are dealing with here. I don't know for sure. Maybe we should have stressed that more in the video. I don't know. But hopefully, you get why we were putting it out there to try to dispel that notion that 
that there's anything, any act that automatically makes you go to hell. Well, you never know what someone's dealing with. A lot of people are mentally ill who take their own lives. A lot of people have suffered things that we can't understand. There's no act that is an automatic ticket to hell. It's it, Hell is something you cultivate. So that's why we did it, and, and that's what we did. So moving on, uh, this is another, this is an old episode of Swedenborg and Life, and even I think from phase one, like in the older phase, when there was just like me Skyping with somebody and we, we talked over uh, Swedenborg's works. I um, hope I'm not wrong about that. Uh, so... This one is uh, from the uh, the angels that we meet after death. So let's take a look. Swedenborg talks about how the the kind of frame of mind that we're in, what's going on inside of us, actually shapes the way that we process information. And so let me take you on a little journey of of Swedenborg's setup of the mind very briefly. He says that the heaven and hell are constantly trying to influence our minds. And that we're we're kind of like a radio antenna, but that we can actually shift uh, which one we're tuning into. You know, the negative thoughts and feelings being hell, the positive thoughts and feelings being heaven. So if we work at it, we can actually shift. And what I want to do is give a couple little pointers on this shift tonight. One thing that Swedenborg says is as a hellish tendency is the the desire or the the need to to be superior to other people. Uh, he can sometimes refers to it as love of self. Um, we want ourselves to be better and have more than other people. So if we can push that out, we're blocking that negative channel up, and that opens the way for the good things to come in from what Swedenborg calls heaven, which two I would point out are humility and usefulness. And humility is not just humility as in, oh, I'm not, I'm not cooler than other people, um, but also intellectual humility and admitting that um, as he puts it, what we know is next to nothing compared to what we do not know. And even me, like I've read you know, Swedenborg stuff before, but if I come into it saying, okay, well, how do I know this really knows, that I really know what this means? So it's just a cool way to, to keep humble. And then usefulness is this idea that, that you're getting information in order to help. So if we're going in here thinking, how can I help? How can I grow as a person to be more helpful to others? How can I use this info to comfort someone, to, to help them, to turn them on to something they might like? Then that's that's bringing the heaven side in. So if we can do those things, we can maybe even get more out of this than we would. Either way, the text will uh, will provide us the opportunity. So pull up your PDFs. Let's get in there. Hopefully you're able to find some. We're starting right in the middle of a chapter. We're on page 18 because last time we actually stopped not only in the middle of a, of a chapter, but also the middle of a, a journey where Swedenborg is describing what it's like to be revived in the afterlife. So let's dive right in here. I was in particular allowed to perceive and even to feel that there was a pull, a kind of drawing out of the deeper levels of my mind and therefore of my spirit from my body. And I was told that this was being done by the Lord and it is what brings about our resurrection. When heavenly angels are with people who have been awakened, they do not leave them because they love everyone. And so I want to say a couple things about that sentence. First of all, he says heavenly angels, and that that isn't just um, isn't just uh, you know a, a pleasant description. Like oh, I'm going to call them heavenly. For Swedenborg, there all those terms have a specific meaning. Um, in brief, there are there are three levels in our minds. He says there is what he calls the natural, the spiritual, and the heavenly mind levels, and the natural is kind of the more superficial part of us, um, kind of, you know, ego concerns, that, that sort of thing, and then the other two levels successively open deeper and higher, and Swedenborg is saying heaven, a heavenly angel is someone who is open on that highest level and open to, to the influence of God and of heaven coming in, so they, they gain wisdom from that. So when he says heavenly angels, that's what he's talking about, and he says that they love everyone, and love and angels in any account of a spiritual experience always go hand in hand. There's this overwhelming feeling of love. There's not a lot of stoic angels or a lot of intimidating angels. There's always this love that's pouring out of them. And Swedenborg touches on it, but I find that you can go through his stuff and not quite get the emotional impact that you can get from um, current uh, accounts of them. So I wanted to take a look at a little clip of a guy describing his near-death experience with angels so we can get a little of the what it really feels like uh, for someone, and that can inform us as we look through the rest of Swedenborg's accounts about what it's like. Uh, two angels came, and on each side, and huge, humongous, very wide, very tall. They were 
get the height of the tunnel. Um, and they just said, don't worry, you're okay. Uh, all is well. We're here with you and we love you. I like that guy. Not not the host, me, but the guy at the end. Uh, so I'll, I was sort of right and wrong. Um, there, That is the oldest old format of the show, but it wasn't. And it was before we even started having guests, so you just got treated to me talking more. But did you see how different things are now? I mean, that, that was how we started this program was a read-through of Our Life After Death, which is a little excerpt book from Heaven and Hell. And we just went page by page, get out your PDFs, I said, because you could download the PDF and we'd scroll through together. Uh, so that, that's where it all came from. That's where the idea for the show came from, is we're just going to uh, read through this book. And it was actually, initially, the idea of the show was we're just going to read through these books as a way to sort of kill time while we work on this other video project. But you guys started to enjoy the show, so we, we got into it more and more, and that's how the whole thing came about. All right, so now we're really going to get somebody else in here. Uh, this is the first guy um, other than me to appear on this channel. And this is author Peter Rhodes, and I really, I've always liked his, um, the way that he sees spirituality and the way that he expresses Swedenborg's concepts and, and other concepts that kind of fall under this, in are headed in the same direction. And he and I sat down uh, and we had a series of discussions that we uploaded to the channel. We actually just went there in one day and taped a bunch, taped like an hour and a half or something of conversation, broke some things out of that. And this is just a couple clips from the first one where he discusses sort of the internal, the the, the spiritual meaning of, of church and also sort of good and evil and heaven and hell and, and where they fit in. So this is, uh, this is hanging out with Peter Rhodes. If you're gonna pick up Swedenborg and read it, you're gonna come across the word church a lot. He he goes on and on about the church, mentions church a lot, but um, he uses a term in a different way than a lot of people, and it has multiple meanings, I've found. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what it, what does he mean when he says church? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess one quote that comes to me is, uh, church is doing good in life. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's doing good in church would be the Lord's Church. I don't take it as an organization or an institution or a certain number of people. I take it as a state. So for me, there's within every human being, I certainly notice within myself, I have good states. I have compassion. I have tolerance. I have patience. Uh, I have uh, sympathy. So there's good states in me, both good feelings I love my grandchild and good thoughts. I think I'll buy him. He wanted a teddy bear, didn't he? Yeah. So those good feelings, and I can equate good with God, God feelings, good feelings, um, those within me, I consider to have a higher vibration, and they comprise my church. Mm -hmm. So he said, well, what's a church for? A church is to help you start to move into a life that's good and expressive of good affections to others, not just centered on yourself. Yeah, so the uh, the the church is rather than being primarily an external organization where you go to buildings and you, it's it's a something that's growing inside you. It's a it's a state of, that you're cultivating uh, an attitude towards life. Yeah, I think in the, in the gospel, uh, I think it was Jesus said, "Put before you a tree of life and a tree of death. I recommend life." He didn't say he took away the tree of death. Mm -hmm. He said he puts them both there. So the tree of death or the dark side in me, as well as the kingdom of heavens within me, which is the church, all those states from childhood that are good and loving, unconditionally loving of others, and to serve others and God rather than self. Contrasted and exact opposite to that uh, is those loves which are solely directed towards me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm at the party, I notice they're bringing out the dessert. Yeah. If I get first in line, then I'm getting the biggest pizza pie. Yeah, yeah. Or I want to get the job. I want not not to serve others. I want to get the job because that corner office makes me look pretty hot, and I can buy that car and it's going to impress people how smart I am. 
those loves directed towards me as a person, not useful, not for others. Uh, if it doesn't get its way, which it's not going to get its way often because God's in charge and he's not about serving you. Yeah. So it's going to come up with resentment and it's going to come up with anger. It's going to come up with judgment. So all those uh, loves of myself and loves of the world for me in exclusion to caring about you, I want the top of the pyramid. I want to be the Olympic champion. That's what the church is to help free you from. Mm-hmm. And so we can call that Egypt being freed from worshiping a man who calls himself God, Pharaoh, to go worship the real God by the Israelites. So that's the relationship between those loves within me that I'm in bondage to, serving me, hating others, judging others. I could be freed from that gradually by the affections in me that God gives me that are loves of him and loves of the world. I can start to turn towards that tree of life. And that's what the church is for within me. There are organizations that could remind you of that. We can call them church, we can call them therapy, we can call them ashram, we can call them anything you want. But they're there, they're like maps, they're not the territory. The territory is you. The map is, yeah, I know you're angry at your wife because she came home late. But there is love and compassion and maybe some appreciation for rush hour these days, you know what I mean? You could go there. My anger doesn't want to go there because my anger wants to live in me. But those good affections want to manifest through me too. And then I'm in a relationship between which am I going to choose? Yeah, and the, the good affections, the good thoughts, the stepping outside of, of self-centeredness, those are the building block, you know, the stones, if you will, to, to build the church, the kind of church that Sweden Morgan's talking about. And yeah, and he does talk about that, you know, you take everybody's internal church, put them all together, you know, that that's where you got the, the larger church. It's made up of everybody, anyone around the world, who's trying to live rightly by, by what they know. That's, right. that, that's the bigger church. Swedenborg actually talked about how we can become, we, we are heaven or hell in miniature. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. you want to say a little bit about what that is? Yeah, I think most people, uh, including many states of myself, think uh, the external world can be hell. You can be in rush hour, you go on vacation, and now it's 55 down in Florida, and you paid good money to get here, and you're reading a paper 75 up in Philadelphia, so I'm angry and judgmental. Oh, I better not do that because then maybe if I'm that way, God, I'm not appreciating God's gift. Maybe God will make me go to hell later. No, I'm already in hell. Mm. I'm in the hell of resentment. I'm in the hell of anger. I'm in the hell of judgment. Uh, so it's not something for me that's going to be in the future. It's if my love of self and love of the world doesn't get its way, it creates hell for me. In the 12-step recovery program, which I'm in, they say it makes my life unmanageable because I'm angry at the very people I love. I'm destroying the vacation that I went on. So that's a state of hell in me. And I also have states of heaven in me. And I can be triggered in either of those states, so I'm not going to go to hell. I'm not worried about going to hell in the future. I'm trying to get out of hell most of the time, right, today. Yeah. So there's a lot more of that. If you're interested, uh, this, this conversation segment, it was only three videos, but it's, it's, it's a lot more of that conversation that he and I had. If you like the flow of that or check out his books, Observing Spirit, AIM, uh, those kinds of things. He got cool stuff, a cool way to... Um, sort of process Swedenborg and, and Nickel and others like that and, and get a real practical life philosophy out of it. All right, so let's move on to another person I really enjoyed conversing with uh, on this channel who's a regular uh, contributor to, to what we do here, Dr. Jonathan Rose, and he's actually the guy who heads up the, tr- the new translation of Swedenborg's writing. So the text that we use as much as we can is, is this new translation in there, the efforts of the New Century Edition, which is a branch of the Swedenborg Foundation, to get Swedenborg into a, a modern translation that, that's as readable as possible. So he and I sat down to talk about you know, if there really is this afterlife that we've been talking about this whole show, there's all these spirits and everything, and the people that we die just going through the afterlife, why don't they come back and talk to us? I mean, we're, we're dealing with a lot of heavy stuff here, especially right after they die. Why, some people do seem to get these visitations, but, but why doesn't everyone? So this is a, a clip from that, that uh, episode that we had. First segment for discussion is the divine design. 
and that this is a, a huge part of this whole subject. And the quote we want to go from here is this, from Swedenborg. The Lord never does anything contrary to his design because he himself is the design. The divine truth that emanates from him is what establishes the design. And divine truths are the laws of the design by which the Lord is leading us. So, Jonathan, my question is, people tuned in to see a show about why don't our loved ones communicate with us. Why are they getting an earful about the divine design right now? So do you want to kick us off? Sure. I think uh, when people think about spiritual things, they think uh, a little bit uh, like it's magical mm-hmm. or, or like, you know, who knows what the rules are or something. Something that I love that Swedenborg says about this is that there are rules. There are rules to the our physical world, which we know about very well. Gravity, Gravity and everything else. And there are equally rules to the spiritual world, and there are rules to the way that the two interact. So some of what's baffling about losing a loved one and not being communicated with um, is is softened a little bit when you think about the the fact that there is an order and and there's a there's a reason things are the way that they are. So it's a short clip, uh, but that is the crux of that episode, and that 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 just like as we say in the episode there's a complex bunch of machinery getting this message to you where you are at your computer there are similar complex processes that would connect the worlds and it's not just like you know angels or god or people are sitting there like do i want to talk to them do i not there's more to it than that Uh, so check out that episode that's actually i think our second most popular episode youtube selects certain ones and and kind of puts them out there as suggested videos so some get a lot of people piling on if, if people are finding that they're interesting so a lot of people have seen it but if you haven't seen it go check it out man all right we're gonna end with two quick ones two more swedenborg minutes this has to do with uh, distance in the afterlife that you may have heard. There's no space and time in the afterlife. So what does that mean? We try to answer it here. So if somebody came up to me and they were like, how close are you to your father? And I said, oh man, about 640 miles. That's not what they're looking for, is it? They want to know how we feel about each other. Swedenborg wrote that a lot of the idioms we use, although we don't realize it, actually originate in our subconscious knowledge of how the spiritual world, or the afterlife, works. There, how close people are emotionally literally dictates how much distance is between them. So someone that you're at odds with, ideologically and personally, isn't just going to stumble across your path. You repel each other, like opposing magnets. But if there's somebody you like and you both wanted to talk, they would suddenly show up at your door. This also applies to communities of people. Those who can live together in harmony are drawn by this principle into neighboring towns and cities, while those who would clash are separated by great distances. So in the afterlife, the people that you're close to, you're close to. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. All right, so that, you know, and there's a lot more on that in a lot of episodes, this principle of what organizes heaven and hell. The episode that we just did before this, A Day in the Life with an Angel, we talked about spiritual communities and how they form, and those are some of the laws of the spiritual world, like we were just talking about with Jonathan Rose, that there are, it's not just this wish-wash of stuff, there are laws governing it, just like there are physical laws governing this world. The final Swedenborg Minute is actually from... uh, is from there was sort of a mini sub series. We had done a bunch of Swedenborg minutes, then stopped and done other things. Uh, when I think around when the show started, but then we had these three Swedenborg minutes that you'll see. The style is very different, uh, you know, due to popular outcry. I don't appear on screen in these ones. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It, it was just because we wanted to try something new. Um, and this, it was just there was only three in this series, but but I thought that they were cool. Um, and this one is not necessarily about afterlife, but about the overall governance in this life and the next by the divine that yeah god is actually bringing things to a good place even if it doesn't seem like it so here's the last one for today true deep lasting peace comes from understanding the stream of life the divine influence on our life is like a stream Like life, sometimes it's fast, sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's smooth, sometimes it's rocky, sometimes it's really rocky. The peace comes from understanding that whether the flow is quiet or turbulent, all of it, every bit of the riverbed is moving us in a single direction, toward a destination. Without that perspective, it doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere, 
Oh, so I made it past all these problems just to get more problems? And that's always how it will seem to us because our vantage point isn't high enough to understand the full course of the river. But if in spite of that we choose to trust the current, trust the process and the unseen destination, then we float, we relax, we harmonize with it. Not that we won't still get hit by the rocks and the logs and the fishing lines, but we'll know that everything I get through gets me a little closer to the destination. And a destination that's very much worth the journey. So that that clip is based on one of my favorite, not just quotes, but, but concepts in Swedenborg. And not just that little quote at the end, but a larger quote that that video sort of came out of. But this idea that no matter what, there is a divine plan. It's leading you. You don't necessarily feel it in the motions that you go through day to day, but it's there. And one of the things that I think is cool about Swedenborg is he, the stuff he wrote starts to make it so you're able to notice that flow in life, or you get the, the right the right goggles on so you can start to look for it, you know, just like ultraviolet goggles or something like that. So that's that, and uh, we went through this trip, and I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I think it shows that there is this huge body of knowledge there, you know, this, this, this whatever it is that Swedenborg got, revelation or, or giant uh, catalog of, of life, there's so much in it that, that this channel is just starting to scratch the surface of, even though we were st- sticking in the afterlife category, even in within there, there's a lot of wiggle room, there's a lot of little things to know. Uh, so we're hoping to show you some of that today. If you enjoyed it, maybe think about liking or subscribing. Uh, clicking either of those buttons there helps us out, helps us spread into YouTube and other people can find it that way and some people really like it so you could have made someone's day by introducing them to the concepts behind the channel. And if you want to support further, consider making a donation. The Swedenborg Foundation is a nonprofit. You can uh, make a tax-deductible donation or get a membership if you want to do that and get some other benefits. Click here or click the little I that's in the corner here or click There's a button on the front. There's a lot of ways to donate. There's a link in the description. Either way, appreciate your support uh, and really fun to, to take this journey through this material with you guys. We will be back next week when we're going to be discussing how to love. So if you think that's an interesting subject, tune in then. And I hope you have a great week in the meantime. See ya.